0: Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Simui Boon. With 2021 coming to a close in about three to four months, and the end of the pandemic somewhat in sight, there's a lot of economic damage to be assessed here. As governments and businesses around the world take stock of how the past year and a half affected their wallets, there's also a lot of personal finance lessons we can learn. And these lessons will likely help to put us in good stead. So joining me to talk about the kinds of financial lessons you can take away from the pandemic is Joyce Chua, CEO of Success Concepts and a licensed financial planner with Principal Asset Management. Good morning and welcome to the show, Joyce. So let's start off with this. What were the main lessons to be learned from the pandemic last year?
1: Well, I would break down the lessons into two parts. One is to play offense and one to play defense. (laughs) Playing offense means that one you can learn to earn better income in the coming years or in the coming months. Find out how you can better be earn better with your perhaps your passion, you know your hobby, or do a side hustle. That's very important to have better income or maybe enroll in a self development course if possible. The other one would be uh, manage your money, uh, inventorize your financial life, be acquainted with your money, perform, say, a financial health check. In order to know where your money is going, how your money is being budgeted. uh, that would be very useful when it comes to um, crisis like the pandemic. The other one about playing offence is, you know, protecting your wealth getting a a good insurance coverage, a really good insurance coverage that performs its role to protect you or to replace your income when there is, say, a situation of ill health or disability. And a lot of people say that, you know, uh, it's okay, we don't really need so much insurance. But the problem about insurance is, or not rather the problem is, the issue of insurance is when you really need it most, you can't have it because we're, you know, we're probably having a bad, poor health record. Now, the other part would be playing defense. Playing defense with your money, meaning that you need to avoid the inflation trap. Inflation is something that's always going to go up, no matter what the CPI figures say, but the real life cost of living increase is there. I mean, all these years, you know, whatever increases has not come down in price I, I i cannot recall anything that has increased in price though, though the you know some of the consumption goods that we have you know we we we've been uh, consuming it, it has not come back in price it's always on the up so let's not have our money in a diminishing purchasing power trap you know uh, be vigilant of what i would say net of your inflation growth rates i think the other playing defense is that you need to avoid the bad debt trap not all debts are bad. See, There are some good debts. I've always said that good debts put money into your pocket. Bad debts take money out of your pocket. A debt that is bad, it is important that you avoid it and clear it as soon as you can. I think lastly about playing defence and one of the lessons is uh, avoid the illiquidity trap as well. You know, when there's no liquidity, it means you're insolvent, you cannot pay debts. There are many people who can be asset rich but cash poor, meaning that they have not enough money to pay debts. It's important to have emergency cash for three months, six months, something like that. But it's also important to have liquid investments. I know people who have got so many properties, they get almost bankrupted by it because they have almost no more money to pay their debts because they've been over allocated in that kind of area. So important to avoid the illiquidity trap.
0: A question people want to know is, what kind of uh, mistakes or rash financial decisions did you notice that many people tend to make or fall into, especially in the context of what has been happening in the past year and a half?
1: Yeah, I think in with regards to financial decisions, a lot of us react to it rather than respond to it. Reacting means you're just being rash, right? And responding means you're taking, through, you're, you're taking your thoughts through your financial statements, your financial options. So some of the rash decisions would naturally be where your money is, you know, your investments, the panic sell, um, uh, the the moment that when the markets fell in March last year, uh, the first thing to do is to just sell it without considering what would be the fundamental reason why you set up that particular investments in the first place. Perhaps I could say that people would have confused speculative investments with Investments for a purpose, say for retirement. So then, regardless of the purpose, the, the first thing is just just sell, you know, at a loss, <laughs> um, before it gets worse. Yes, but you know, markets are like that. They'll always rebound. It gets worse before it gets better. I think the other rash decision is the you know, that calling of the herd, you know, like, for example, when you hear your friends withdrawing from EPF, you know, from all these financial aid programs, you too want to do it because everyone else is doing it. But the question I always ask those who ask me is that, what are you going to do with that EPF uh, withdrawal? Uh, Are you going to invest it in something or are you going to clear some some debts? It has to have a cost-benefit kind of equation. I have heard people taking out from their EPF, ICNA, Isla whatever, what have you, just to keep in their savings just because others are doing it. So it's the herd. I think the other rash decision is really not doing anything at all. It's called inertia. You know, um, for example, when the EPF contribution rate was reduced, right, uh, last year, uh, my advice is go back to HR, go and change it back to that 11%. But then it, it takes a lot of effort, right? It, you need to actually go contact the HR, fill up some forms and all that. So a lot of people don't do it. So it's inertia. It's basically not doing anything at all. Um, and uh, maybe another example is when uh, equities or funds are at mega sale prices um, because of status quo buyers, they're not you know, injecting more money into it. When when it's, it's a mega sale for their favourite shoes, they do, they you know, they go out and buy them, but not not the same when
0: it comes to the markets. Okay, I want to dwell on this ICNA EPF withdrawal because I think it touches a lot of people that we know and it's also something that you're really passionate about, which is you know to do with retirement. I think for some people, it might have been, you know, there, there was a lot of factors. You know, some had no choice because they had bills to clear. Some saw it as an opportunity to make money and they decided to take it out and uh, reinvest in something that they think that might bring returns. How do you, do a cost-benefit analysis on something like this.
1: It's pretty simple. Um, first of all, the EPF is our retirement nest egg. It's just like that emergency panel on the wall, right? You only break it. You only break glass when there's a fire. So if if there is a fire, you withdraw it out because you need to pay something that is costing, costing you more than what is returning you. So, EPF is returning, say, 5.5%. And and you have a debt that's, that's higher than that, then please, by all means, take it out because it, it, it benef- it's beneficial to you. Um, or take it out because you know that you can earn higher returns from another instrument that gives you higher returns than EPF. Um, just to take it out and put it in a savings account doesn't make sense just because other people are doing it, right? So, so it is, it is about what are you earning from epf what are you clearing what's the cost to you or what are you earning from epf and what are you earning out of epf now i know some of them have taken it uh, taken it out to invest in very hot in hot stocks and lost it all so again that takes a pretty much uh, a lot of prudence in in, in choosing your investments.
0: Another situation, unique situation that was created was also these loan moratoriums that were being given out. And there was also somewhat of a debate. Of course, this is on a specific group of people where they've probably not lost their jobs. You know, they, they occupy a specific earning income. You know, some saw it as an opportunity to free up for cash flow to transfer their loan obligations to a way to make money and also there are some that just say just don't do it if you can afford to pay just continue paying why would you stop paying so what's your take on all these discussion or debates that people had
1: i for one just continued to pay you know i didn't take the moratorium because to me my financial life has got buckets and this bucket is about uh a property that I'm paying loan for, you know, on. And and I should continue with that. Unless I am super confident that if by not repaying my loan, I am actually taking this out to invest in something that will definitely return me that money way above my mortgage rate, then yeah, it's, it's a possibility. But I don't advise it because then, you know, what are we breeding when we do that? We're, we're, we're not just mixing up the buckets where, where this bucket is to acquire property and to pay your mortgage. The other one is, is, is really an investment plan. We're actually acquiring a habit of um, greed, you know. It, it's like, let, let's let take from this bucket to actually, you know, make quick money so that we can cover the loan faster. Now, when we have that kind of habit, we possibly don't have an investment portfolio in mind or we, we're we just hearing um, the hurt and say, hey, this stock is good and, and let's make better money and quick money. What happens when the cart turns around, you know, when it doesn't, when you actually didn't make money, what happens to your loan? Then it becomes worse and worse. So I'd rather travel in a straight line and this bucket is meant for repayment. And, and why am I not doing that for my invest in uh, to take it out, that money, to leave that moratorium, uh, to take the moratorium, take the money and invest it? That's because I have my investment plan in place already. Why should I add on to it? So it starts with a very well planned out financial plan for yourself rather than mixing out the buckets. You know what I mean, Sim? And plus, getting the moratorium doesn't mean you're not paying interest on it, right? So I don't think that's good for emotions. It creates that intermixing of your financial buckets. It, It creates that greed to make a lot of money fast. To me, it messes up your financial plan. Mm. So I don't advise it.
0: So lastly, before we go to a break, I want to talk to you about risk tolerance. Then, how do you gauge risk tolerance from now on? I mean, you know, no one expected the pandemic to happen or the MCO to still continue on like this. How does this past year and a half affect the way you look at risk? It's,
1: it's very true. Yeah, The pandemic has shown um, to me that those who said they could take risks could actually not take risks. And it's also shown me that if you had taken risk, you would be highly rewarded, right? So risk is a four-letter word. You know, the truth is without risk, there's no opportunity. Now, to, to answer your question, to get, how to get risk uh, is to get your own reactions and emotions during a crisis, you know, go back and capture what is it that you do during that crisis? Uh, how did you respond? Did you did you face the risk up front or did you went under the covers? Did you, did you quickly panic sell as we have decided or did you add into your portfolio? Um, and we, we need to see whether are we able to stay the course when that, that risk uh, happens. So risk tolerance changes, you know, um, according to one situation and according to their own experiences. Uh, So it's important that we... It's a self-check. You know, it it, it cannot be checked by just doing a risk tolerance questionnaire which a lot of institutions ask us to do as compliance it is basically a very dynamic thing it's a very personal thing Uh, and you yourself have to gauge it you yourself have to confront it and what are the lessons you have learned if you did not take risk what are the lessons you had learned if you had taken risk by the horns or you had you had avoided risk so so list that down and and i did that for myself and so that the next crisis happens i know how to face the risk and i know how to take advantage of the risk by injecting money into uh, mega sale markets.
0: Okay, and we'll be right back with some messages. But before that, a mammogram is one of the best ways to detect early signs of breast cancer. It's easy, affordable and safe. But is it painful? And why are many women still diagnosed with breast cancer in the latest stages? While it is the most common cancer among Malaysian women, breast cancer is also the most treatable when detected early. Join our discussion with consultant clinical oncologist, Dr. Jennifer Leong from Sunway Medical Center. Tune in to Health & Living today at 4pm to ask all your questions. BFM 89.9 Welcome back, you're tuned in to Ringgit and & Sense and I'm Sim Wee Boon. And with me is Joyce Chua, CEO of Success Concepts and a licensed financial planner with Principal Asset Management. We've been talking about some of the lessons to be learned from the pandemic. Now, I want to take this conversation to be more forward-looking. Let's assume that the listener has already made their mistakes. They've been through the pandemic and is now starting from scratch again. They've gotten back on their feet, they've landed a new job and is starting to earn. Joyce, how would you advise them to approach the coming months and years in terms of financial planning?
1: I always uh, advocate being organized in your financial life. What do I mean by being organized is that you need to take stock of your finances first. You know, we always like to make financial decisions before, I mean, as we said, rash decisions. Um, And it's rasher when there is a crisis. We, we, We always like to take those kind of decisions but before you even do any rational decision it's good to invent right so for those who have you know are starting over and say okay it is a brand new page going forward let's just then look at what are you know how is your budget doing where are you spending it do you have do you have extra on paper have those things and set up your cash flow set up your net worth statements know where what your assets are what are your liabilities are they good are there any good or bad liabilities good or bad debts how can you increase your good liabilities and reduce your bad liabilities so start with that and then continue with listing down your most important goals that you want to do in maybe in the next um in the next 3 5 years and the longer term and then also then to review what have you done with your money uh, so if it's for retirement what have you done with your money for retirement if it's for children education what have you done with your money for children's education so it's a it's a step-by-step process first inventorize take stock and very importantly find a date every year to inventorize and take take stock it doesn't mean i mean a store takes stocks every what six months or once once a year or every three months i think then list down your goals and then ask yourself what have you been doing with regards to each of these goals
0: people will probably also want to you know, as they build themselves up again, they will try to find more opportunities to make more money perhaps and start investing again. How can we avoid mistakes in investment? For example, like one that you mentioned, in too, in over-investing in an asset class, you know, being too mm. conservative, aggressive or too illiquid. I mean, how can we approach that?
1: Yeah, um, I, I I, think the common thing I found in investors' behavior is this, that they've confused the terminologies between speculating and investing. They have. Um, they often ask me, are there any stocks to play with or are there any funds that I can play with? That Those are all wrong mindset. Investing is the core part of growing your money. Speculating is the fun part of it, right? And it's the scary part of, of it too. But you mustn't have too much of it in speculating. The, the core of it, 60, 70% has got to be in serious investing the speculating part is just play money so that has to be set right because if we're just thinking of i want to make quick money i want to get quick money we probably will end up one day losing it all because what is driving it is is the greed part or the i want to make quick money or i want to make a profit or make good money uh quickly and be rich quick rather than my goals are driving it it's okay i'm going to take it slow and easy that's the first thing you need to get it right but other than that the pandemic has taught us many lessons now. I'm, I'm back to responding and reacting, right? So some of it is don't respond, don't react to markets events immediately because uh, markets do recover. There is, this terminology, um, I'm not sure whether I've mentioned it, it's called uh, RTM, it's return to, uh, return to mean. There is always um, whatever that that comes down, there is always a situation where it will go back up. It will return to mean, the historical mean. So over the long run, equity markets always point upwards. If you're investing in equity, there is. Even in bonds, last year bonds came down, but it eventually will point upwards. But it will revert to mean. What goes up comes down, what comes down goes up. Uh, and also last year, what's interesting is this. The economy is not the same as the market. You see the economy is suffering, but the, the markets actually went up uh, and rebounded in the fastest fashion historically um, ever since ever since the, the dawn of uh, equity markets. I've never seen markets revert back to uh, or rather rebound so fast. I think the other important thing is this. uh, If you have a diversified portfolio, it does not mean that in a crisis you won't lose money. You will. You will still lose money. The problem with a lot of us is when we invest, we don't want to lose money. Nobody does. But you need to make peace with losing money if you want to invest. Make peace. That's what I'm saying. And the other thing is set up a portfolio. You know, a lot of us like to look at stocks. We like to look at funds. Uh, what fund is good? You know, what fund has, has gotten the best uh, awards? Uh, what fund has got this performance? Past performance is, is is gone. So we need to actually look at portfolio rather than just a single product kind of thing.
0: So how would a average portfolio look like now moving forward? How would you like for the average Malaysian to approach their portfolio moving forward you know assuming that they have no experience in doing this
1: right Um, of course creating a portfolio depends on the individual right that's why they need financial advisors however just as a rule of thumb there's this uh, rule of thumb called age equals to bond equals to fixed income so if you're 30 years old have 30% of it in conservative fixed income and 70% in aggressive investments that's a very very rough rule of thumb where you don't even need to speak to a financial advisor just look at your age and say okay i'm thirty this year i wish i am but 30 years old then you put 30 percent of your money in 50s or some concept, of amanah saham epf all that is included now again uh, each portfolio has to have a purpose right if it's for retirement then the 30% 30% would include your EPF, include your FTS, anything that you have meant it for retirement. And 70%, I remember I told you about stock check, you know, or inventory check, financial inventory check. On that date that you have chosen every year to do an inventory check, then you 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 will be one year older. So preferably, uh, and you're not, no longer 30, you're now 31. So add one more percent in fixed income for yourself you know, and then you reduce your equities. That's how you rebalance your portfolio. But this is very, you know, it's, it's a very rough way of doing it without any advisory, without any advice. So, okay. so that's one way to do it. But for the other way is to have, um, you know, a set portfolio that, for example, you say, okay, um I can take 80% equities, 20% bonds because, or 20% fixed income because that kind of portfolio will then bring me faster to my goal because I have a big goal of having, say, uh, a very luxurious retirement or above average retirement lifestyle. So I, I need to grow it faster without having greed in mind, but you know, having a portfolio that's driven by my goal of retiring in a comfortable way. So, is 80-20. Now the moment it's out of sync, say last year, you know, because equity markets went down. So it became 70-30 because your equity portion has reduced in value. So then you set it back to 80-20. You reset it back to 80-20. What does that mean? It means you sell fixed income and you, you buy equities and you buy it at lower prices. You know, likewise, when it has gone to say uh, a point where equities have gone up, so you're now 90/10 because the values of your equities have improved. Then you sell that 10%, which is at higher prices, and then you put it back in fixed income. So in that way, you avoid risks. That way, you have a disciplined way of monitoring your 80/20 kind of model asset allocation, if that's what you want.
0: And that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been talking to Joyce Chua, the CEO of Success Concepts and a licensed financial planner with Principal Asset Management about the lessons you can learn from the pandemic. Tune in again next Thursday for more discussions on personal finance, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.